Alrighty, guys. So here we are in uh, the third part of a, a series around Thanksgiving. I thought we'd actually only preach one week, Thanksgiving Sunday two weeks ago. But as we've kind of jumped into the series, I've realized there's more and more to it. And so this is week three, and there's actually a fourth week to it, which I'll preach in the new year. Um, but today we're going to jump into week, part three of this uh, series around Thanksgiving. So this is uh, kind of what we did was we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. And Paul writes, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so we said, wow, so God's will for us is that we live with a thankful and a grateful heart. But thankful and grateful for what? Firstly, what? And thankful and grateful how? And so we turn to a very famous psalm, Psalm 23, which is the one that we used to all chant at school, if you did, if you are as old as me, like a dinosaur, and used to still um, uh, recite scripture at school, had scripture readings. And it speaks about, Psalm 23 speaks about these different phases of life and the fact that Jesus is with us through all of them. And so we started off by the first little part said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And we said the thing that we can be so thankful for there is that God is our shepherd, that we are not our own shepherd. We, aren't, we don't have to look after ourselves. And not another person is our shepherd, that God himself is our shepherd. And so he leads me beside still waters. Um, I don't need to want, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. So I don't have to always be looking over the fence and comparing myself to everybody else and trying to keep up with the Joneses. I can have goals and I can have aspirations for the future, but I can also go, Lord, for today, thank you that I know that you are my shepherd and my future will come. I'll walk with it as I walk with you, as I follow you obediently. And we read that text, um, 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment, with contentment is great gain. So I have this incredible thankfulness that Jesus is my source and that I know that he will grant me the desires of my heart in his time as he gives me the desires of my heart. And then uh, verse 3 of Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And so we spoke about the two parts there. He restores my soul. My soul is broken. My emotions are broken. I'm not this perfect person who's all fixed and ready to rock and roll and change the world all the time. And so what God comes, Jesus comes, and it sounds so great for Him to restore my soul, but what it actually means is that any unrighteous or ungodly motive and thought He confronts as he looks to restore my soul. And he does this because he loves me. And that can be so hard. And it can also be hard to be grateful for that. Well, thank you for challenging me on this thing, which in the beginning was pain, but it's become a little bit of my comfy blanket. It could be whatever my insecurity or whatever these things are, or uh, fear or anger, whatever this thing is that I'm carrying, I'm holding on to it. And God comes and he wants to heal me of it. And what we said was, uh, we'd love it if he sent an angel to do that. But what generally happens is... Um, he sends people and circumstances. And so it can be really, really hard to be grateful when God is using my kids or my wife or a colleague or people around me or other people in the church to restore my soul. But I need to have thankfulness that Jesus does not consider me beyond redemption. And at the same time, he doesn't consider me perfect and complete and, perf and, and having it all together. But that he loves me and that he wants to work in me. So we said that on he restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he doesn't only want to restore me for my own sake, but also for the sake of the gospel. That I'm his ambassador and that I re represent Jesus in all that I do. And if I'm, if I'm staying with this broken soul, 
that isn't um, complete and, and that, is, um, that lashes out and misrepresents Christ. It's incredibly difficult to shine the light and to live this mission of wanting to take the gospel and show other people about how good God is. Um, and so he works in me not only for my sake, but also for the sake of others, for his name's sake. And so we said, we are so thankful for Jesus working in us to confront the unrighteousness and the sin that cripples us, but also turns others from Jesus. We don't want that, friends. We want our lives to be able to reflect Jesus in everything that we do. So Lord, thank you that you're at work in me. And then last week, we looked at um, verse 4, where we looked at our understanding of God and as we walk through life. It's the, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we said there's, uh, to understand what God's rod and staff actually is, is really, really important. When we look in the Old Testament, the first time we see someone talking about the staff of God is Moses. We see Moses used the staff to perform miracles before Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea. He lifted up the, the staff as the Israelites overcame the Amalekites. He struck the rock with the staff and water came out in the desert. And so this staff of God, this rotten staff, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, speaks of the fact that God is with me as I walk through this valley of the shadow of death. His presence and his power is with me. And he's able to accomplish anything. If you look at the children of Israel, when they came to the Red Sea, it was like their destiny. They, they had no way forward. And Moses stretches out the staff and it opens. And, and so sometimes when we face situations like that as well, what am I meant to do? The presence and the power of God is with me through his Holy Spirit to make a way. But it means that I've got to trust God in that situation, not lean on my own understanding. The staff of God in my hands performing miracles before Pharaoh facing up to political situations or stuff like that, rulers of the day, authority figures in our lives, that, we able, that God gives us his Holy Spirit to give us the words that, to be able to say, um, to overcome our enemies, which we'll talk a bit about today, and, to, and also just for provision, you know, um, that Moses struck the rock with a staff uh, and water came out in the desert. And God wants to supernaturally provide for us, friends. Our hands are not the be-all and end-all of our lives. God is the one who provides for us. And so Jesus intends to do so much more than merely heal us or just restore us. He wants to build something profound and beautiful with our lives on a secure foundation. He's preparing a bride for himself, beautiful, radiant, and strong. And so we come to this week's sermon, and it's verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so when we're looking at this one this morning, um, I wonder if I can ask you this question. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you were offered a solution to a problem, but it seemed like completely bizarre or it seemed too easy or just seemed like such a meh answer to it that you're like, oh, whatever. But then when you tried it, it actually, it accomplished the thing that you wanted it to. And you're like, there's no ways I would have seen that for what it was. Uh, recently, while we've been, uh, over the last couple of years, our, the church band's been doing some recording. You would have seen it during the carols just now. We've been recording some music together. And many years ago in the, in the church I was in previously, before Center Church, um, we also recorded some music then. And I remember back in those days, um, I was a fairly creative uh, musician, so I'd write guitar parts and instrumental parts for the songs, but I wasn't good enough to play them. So I'd write these guitar parts and then some of the other guitarists who were good enough, got to play them. And I never understood why I couldn't keep time, why I wasn't good enough. It was just, it was so frustrating for me because I'm like, 
I'm creative enough to come up with the stuff, but I'm not good enough to actually record it. And it was like a, a frustrating thing for me. And what's happened is during, um, during lockdown, I've been playing with a metronome, which is a click track, because we all had to record at our homes. We weren't able to be together. So we had a little click that was keeping all of us in time, and I had to learn to play to this metronome because there was no one else to record the guitar parts during the time in the beginning. Fortunately, as time went on, a few of the other guys were able to record, but in the beginning, it was on me. And so I had to learn to play to this metronome. And friends, you can't believe that a silly little pick, book, 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 pick, book, that little silly thing, the metronome, learning just to play in time with that, all of a sudden took someone who was creative, right, and who had a measure of ability and made them useful. I was able, right, that silly little key of just being able to practice with that thing a little bit every day during lockdown because we had time, right, like just practice along with that thing. All of a sudden, I was able to record and like live out a dream of mine. It was absolutely amazing. And there's this story in scripture uh, uh, about a similar thing that happened like that. It was the story of this guy called Naaman. And I'd like to read it to us. It's quite long. And then we'll jump into it. So 2 Kings chapter 5 says this. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through, the Lord, through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now Aram, they were the enemies of Israel. So this guy isn't an Israelite. And God has given them victory over the Israelites because the Israelites have sinned, right? The whole cycle that happened in the Old Testament. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, that you may cure him of leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I a god? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he's just trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king's already been subdued by Aram, by the king of Aram. He's already beaten up the king of Israel. They were subject to Aram at this time. And now he's like, this guy's just trying to pick another fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Anna and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And friends, here's the thing. It seemed like such a small thing. The, it's the, the task seemed like such a small thing. But the thing that was on the line was Naaman's pride. 
That was the real issue. It wasn't that the Jordan River was the small, dirty little puddle, right? Um, and when Naaman gets confronted by this, it's like something so small and so insignificant. I have to do that to find my healing. I have to do that to find my overcoming. What on earth is God doing here? And friends, this is the thing. I've been to Israel and I've seen the Jordan River and it's a dirty, muddy little stream. Like there's nothing special about the Jordan River at all. And we're talking about gratefulness, right? Thankfulness. When Naaman gets confronted by this, like he wanted God to give him something amazing to do. Some big overcoming, you know. He wanted like um, Elisha to come out of his house and wave his hands over the spot. He says he wants Elisha to meet him. Elisha doesn't even go to meet him himself. He just sends a servant to say to Mabry, go, go wash in the river. Go take a swim in the brown, smudgy little uh, River Jordan. And he gets his pride is so offended by it. And this is the, fr- the thing, friends. When God comes in, and this text specifically that we're looking at today, when it comes to overcoming something that's in front of us, Right? It's never about our ability or about our sacrifice. It's always about our submission and about our obedience. That's exactly what Naaman's servant said to him. They went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? So let's have a look at our text. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, I don't feel anything like me, but you know, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Not exactly sure, and we'll look at what that means in a moment. But when I read it for the first time, it sounds very exciting. I want all of that. But just like Naaman, right, he had to do something. He had to submit, and he had to do something which was unexpected of him, right? God had to be the powerful one to do this thing. Uh, The glory wasn't on Elisha, that God would have the glory in this situation. And the thing is, when it, comes to, when, God, when it comes to us overcoming or when it comes to us like living in this space where our heads are, are anointed with oil and our cups are overflowing, this is an honest truth, friends. We can't just live our lives any old way with our pride, with our arrogance, doing things our way and expect God just to anoint our lives and expect our cups just to overflow. Like God is not a garnish on the side of how we live our lives. There is submission And there is obedience that is required of us. And the result of that submission and obedience is our head being anointed and our cup overflowing. And God comes to us in in sometimes in the most odd ways and challenges us. And we expect him, we expect to have to do so much more in the situation so that we can pat ourselves on the back or feel like we've accomplished something. And so often what God asks us to do is something so different. So what is the obedience that we're speaking of in this particular text? Well, I'm a very visual guy. So the text says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So let's talk a little bit about, like, what does this actually look like? Well, in this story, there's kind of four things going on. There's me, there's God, there's my enemies, and there's a table. And when I think about that, I kind of, if you had to ask me honestly, the thing I'm most aware of is the fact in my life, because much of my life is like that, right? In, in our situations that we live in, God's with us, but there's things that we're fighting against. And I'm often more aware of my enemies than I am of God. And I, I'm thinking about how do I overcome these? How do I beat these guys? I've got my enemies in close proximity. So I'm thinking about what weapons. I'm thinking about how am I going to overcome? I'm thinking about how am I going to beat them? How am I going to have victory in this situation? How am I not going to take pain? How am, how am I going to avoid that, you know, how am I going to get through the situation? 
My enemies are in close proximity. What enemies? Things like fear. I mean, look at the world today, right? Fear. My pride. Lust. Right? What my eyes want, what my heart wants. Perhaps it's people. Maybe they're my enemies. Um, although the Bible does say that we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But sometimes we can see people as our enemies and we can feel like we're being set in on all sides. Maybe it's mental struggle, maybe it's anger, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's loneliness. Whatever the issue is, I've got these enemies that are in close proximity. And so this, so scripture says when your enemies are in close proximity, there is something that God requires of us. There is something that we do. And the response to it is not to outcome my sword, outcome my abilities. Right? Like, like I'm naming the Aramean general. I'm like, I want a reckoning right now. Right? I want to, like, there's going to be a fist fight. There's going to be a, a rumble in the jungle. And I want to win. And God wants us to overcome. God wants us to have a victory. Right? But it's often at this point how that victory is achieved where our path, and God's path diverge, where they separate from one another. Because it's at this moment, friends, as we stand in the presence of our enemies, looking him in the eye, whatever that is for you, um, like I mentioned, fear or loneliness, anger, um, pride, all this kind of stuff that we deal with, people pushing in on all sides, maybe it's something that's going on inside of our head, whatever our enemy is that we're facing at the moment, I'm sitting in that space. And while I'm looking at my enemy, and I'm either terrified or angry or trying to deal with this, the father looks at me, right? And he points to a chair that he set at the table. And he says, sit down. Take a seat at the table and look at me. Like, God, this is, the, this is not the time for a meal, right? My enemies are right there. And God's like, take a seat at the table. Take your eyes off your enemies and look at me. This is incredibly difficult, so what is this table of the Lord that, the God, that God asked me to sit at? Because, friends, it, it seems so counterproductive. Like Naaman, it's like, what do you mean I have to go dip in that stupid river? Why? And God sometimes calls us, friends, before, I think all the time actually, before we face our enemies. Because it doesn't mean that we aren't going to get up from the table eventually. Of course we're going to get up from the table and have to confront our enemies. But before we do, we take a seat at the table with the Father. And I want to talk about this very, very practically. Something so beautiful about this text. It says, he sits, he prepares a table. The, the whole of Psalm 23 is written in the first person. It's written about me specifically. And friends, uh, this table that God prepares is not a generic table for every human being. He prepares a table specifically for you and specifically for me. In Exodus chapter 13, when God tells Moses what his name is, he says, my name is I am who I am. In other words, I am whoever you need me to be in every single circumstance in your life. In Ephesians 1, Paul describes Jesus as filling everything in every way. And so we have this perfect God who knows all things, who has perfect information, perfect timing, and perfect ability, who says, before you confront your enemies, I want you to sit at the table and I want you to spend time with me. I have something for you at the table. And when I, when the problem is, friends, if I don't do that, if I don't sit at the table with God first and I go toe-to-toe -to -toe with my enemies in my own strength, I've got partial knowledge, 
limited timing and not much ability to be dead honest. And I wonder why I don't overcome. I wonder why I don't walk into the world with my head overflowing, or my head anointed with oil and my cup overflowing. I, I feel like, you know, my head's a bit bald, you know, and my cup, well, you know, it's a sort of a dirty old bottle of water that I'm drinking. And I'm wondering why, because I'm a child of God, right? The question is, have I spent time at the table of the Lord? See, friends, the table of the Lord is an incredible thing. At the table of the Lord, he sorts out my motives and he reveals the motives of others. Hebrews chapter 4, 12, it says, For the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so to take, it, take time to sit with God, allow him to sift through our motives and sift through the motives of others, instead of just reacting in our own strength, but Lord, as I spend time in your word, as I spend time at the table of the Lord, as I spend time talking to you, you begin to sift through my motives and through the motives of others. All of a sudden, I begin to get clarity. At the table of the Lord, I find grace and patience to ensure that my fight is for redemption and not for vengeance. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And friends, as much as God loves me, He loves others as well. He loves all of us completely. He wants to see others redeemed. And, and so often in our anger and in our, in our, as I see my enemy, and I just want to have a go at them because they're in close proximity now, I can hurt them and I can hurt the gospel. I can make it hard for them to accept Jesus. And so in that moment, to be able to see things for what they are and to receive patience and to receive grace that I'm able to extend it to people. You know, friends, one of the, the saddest things I see is um, in the world today, and especially in the church, is when someone sins, when someone hurts you, or someone does something, it's generally not specifically aimed at you. It's generally them struggling with themselves. When someone sins, it's generally them choosing their way over God's way. And it's so easy for us to take those things personally. And friends, it's not about us. That's why it's so important to come and sit at the table of the Lord. And to receive grace and patience for others. Lord, speak to me about this person. Talk to me about how much you love them. Talk to me about how you see them. And as God begins to speak of his heart for others, I begin to see this isn't about me. This isn't about this person has hurt me. One of the saddest things I, I ever saw, I was sitting with a, a pastor friend of mine. And there was a guy in his church who was struggling with drugs at the time. And um, the guy had, had another slip up. Um, uh, and the pastor said to the, this guy, he says, how could you do this to us? How could you do this to the church? And I'm like, he didn't do this to you or the church. I had to step in. I'm like, this is someone who's struggling with their stuff. It's his struggle. And friends, it's so important at the table of the Lord, I learned to receive grace and patience so that when I fight, I fight redemptively for others. I don't fight punitively to get people back. At the table of the Lord, I find wisdom and understanding in how to overcome my enemies. In Psalm 25, 9, the psalmist writes, He leads the humble in justice and teaches the humble his way. And friends, some of us perhaps have got personal demons that we're fighting or personal enemies that we're fighting. Some of the stuff that I mentioned earlier. And maybe you've given up the fight or maybe you're not sure how to fight anymore. Friends, at the table of the Lord, we find instruction and wisdom. God begins to speak to us. As we begin to look at his word. He begins to give us the answers from his word. 
But it says that he leads the humble in justice. And it requires a humility, friends. Not, again, just like Naaman, not running out to want to fight and be the man ourselves when we fight the battle, but to come and sit at the table of the Lord. Lastly, at the table of the Lord. I mean, there's many things, but just for this morning. At the table of the Lord, I receive correction and I receive adjustment. Proverbs 13, 18 says, Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. It means while we sit at the table of the Lord, He checks our motives and He um, corrects us about stuff. And so often when I'm looking at my enemy, I'm so aware of what they've done because they're my enemy or what the thing I'm facing that I don't realize most of the fight is here. And it's amazing as God changes me, all of a sudden the enemy has no, whatever enemy I'm fighting has no ability to take hold of me anymore because I'm hidden in Christ. I'm seated at the table of the Lord. And friends, so much of our overcoming happens here. Right? It doesn't happen you know, when I'm out there fighting and beating up and trying to apportion blame to everybody else. But rather, Lord, what do you need to do inside of me? What change do you need to bring to me? I love this, friends. This incredible God who's gone before us has uniquely prepared our table. He's uniquely prepared a table for you and he's uniquely prepared a table for me. At this table, there's encouragement, instruction, correction. And I think while I was preparing this, I thought, in our Western society, we celebrate busyness and we celebrate um, results and activity. And I do feel that some of us have forgotten or played down the importance of sitting at the table of the Lord, meditating on God's word. It's like if I've got time left over, I'm just going to quickly rush through this thing, your devotional time with God or praying. or it just it, it almost feels like it gets in the way. Of activity because it doesn't look fruitful in front of us but friends honestly if we haven't spent time at the table of the Lord and we go out into our lives it's like honestly walk into World War II in your underpants like you've got nothing I right? don't even have a gun in your hands I could uh, honestly like in your undies with a toothpick in your hand and there's guys sitting there with a machine gun but we go sit at the table of the Lord and receive all we need from God meditating on his word Honestly taking time to agonize over situations and issues with him in prayer. To cry out to God about the things that we are struggling with. Lord, I'm bringing these things to you. Lord, I'm bringing these things to you. Reading his word and being obedient to what he says. He lays a unique table for each of us. And friends, the reason I'm saying that and the reason it's so important is there is a unique table for each of us because each of us face unique enemies at unique times. And it's not good enough, friends. This table that we are laying this morning as, we, as I preach this morning and as we have communion in moments is brilliant. But it's only part of your table. And friends, if this is all you're eating and if this is the only table that you're going to, it's not enough. I need to tell you that this morning, honestly. There is a unique table that God has for you. And I want to encourage you this morning to take time to go sit at the table of the Lord and to pray and to to um, spend time in his word and we're having communion have communion as well if you want at, at, you know you can have communion daily if you want but to take the time to be with God we overcome our enemies with our heads anointed with oil and our cups overflowing friends this speaks of the real fact that we are the children of God anointed by God himself and the reason that's so important is we live in a world today friends it looks to define us in a million different ways on our performance our status our wealth and the problem is if we haven't been at the table of the Lord, we begin to give in to that world system. 
And we also begin to define ourselves in that same way. And we begin to criticize others or define others or exclude ourselves from others uh, based on those same principles. And it, it gets into our families, it gets into our social circles, it gets into our heads, it even gets into the church. And we can't afford for that to happen, friends. We need to be people who are the children of God, anointed by Him for His purpose. And our cups are overflowing in a world where anger and frustration and confusion is overflowing. We need a church whose cups are overflowing, overflowing with celebration and life and joy and acceptance and redemption and bringing people together. So if I can loop back to Naaman for a second. He despised the Jordan River and the little thing that God had required of him. Yet because of the counsel of godly people around him, he did it and was completely healed. So how about taking today's sermon as that same counsel? Why don't we bring it to the table of the Lord? He wants to meet us in the presence of our enemies to anoint us and cause our cups to overflow. I mentioned up front about when we were recording these songs during, um, during these last couple of years. Friends, that metronome, just that, it, it felt like such hard work in the beginning when I was recording to it, just trying to stay in time with a silly click that was just... But friends, what it did was it put me in sync with everybody else in the band. All of a sudden, all the potential that I had to be able to play music, all of a sudden found uh, an outlet and it was able to be used. Right? And I think for many of us, friends, our lives are just a few degrees off. Our timing is just a little bit off because we haven't been at the table of the Lord. And as we come and sit at the table of the Lord, He takes that ability that we have and He, he he adds his power and his Holy Spirit. And, he, and all of a sudden, he brings everything into line. And all of a sudden, the little bit of effort that I put in is able to accomplish so much more. The little bit of time I'm able to put in is so much more fruitful. All the things that we want, friends, as we spend time at the table of the Lord, all of a sudden, they begin to line up and they begin to be so much more fruitful. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Center Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Center Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.